Welcome to CEO to Rainmaker, a practical small business educational podcast designed to increase an owner's executive skills, raise profits, and achieve long-term sustainability. And now your host, Gene Valdez. Episode number 49, can you use thrift and spending money to pursue profits in the same sentence with Tony Reyes? The answer to that question is yes. It's actually a trick question though. Thrift doesn't refer to being frugal. Thrift refers to an industry which is huge in terms of dollars. My guest today is Tony Reyes, who has led a very interesting entrepreneurial life over the last 35 years and has an awesome story to tell. Tony is an expert in the thrift industry and is the founder and CEO of the Thrift Store Consulting Group. One of the reasons I invited Tony to the show is that he is what business followers call a social entrepreneur. A social entrepreneur is an individual who, while still profit-motivated, develops solutions and services that directly address social issues. And I am sure after you hear Tony's story, you will agree with me. So let's bring Anthony out, shall we? Yo, Tony, thank you so much for the time. How are you? I'm good, Gene. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. So, Tony, I would like to go over some of the stuff in your bio. Is That's okay. It's sort of like, this is your life, Tony Reyes. And I agreed to keep out the fact that you were a jewelry thief and a former CIA informant out of the chapters. So don't worry about that. Please. Appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) So you're born in Pomona in the 60s, one of nine children. How was that experience? And did that prepare you at all for entrepreneurship? Well, yeah, it was a, a unique family upbringing. We had nine in our family. My mom and dad each had previous marriages. So my dad had three kids, my mom had three kids, and then together they had three kids. So it was a typical blended family. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of uh, play for attention and, you know, everybody trying to outdo the other, a lot of, you know, family competition. So, you know, that might have been one of the things that helped spur me into being more entrepreneurial. Well, that was kind of my next question. Was there anybody in the family that was an entrepreneur? Or are you the only one? I think I'm the only one. Wow. Yeah, there's a a lot of, um, you know, construction in the family, um, that type of thing. My mom was a homemaker all her life. Very diligent, very clean, very detail-oriented. I think that's kind of where I got some of that detail metrics type of thing that I I love to do. So it's in your DNA then of being an entrepreneur. Okay, well, that's good. So maybe that kind of begs the question, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? I don't know. We'll find out. So according to your bio, you're going to be 61 in November. And I got to tell you, dude, you look so young. (laughs) What is your secret? Do you do tummy tucks, Botox? What is that your real hair? This is my real hair. I don't dye my hair. You know, I I think a lot of it is I, I remain active. I loved being active with my kids when they were growing up in sports and 
you know, my daughters are all dancers and singers. And a lot of my spiritual and faith growth has been just give it all to God. And uh, I, I do that. All right. So moving along, you earned a BS degree from Cal Poly Pomona, majoring in sports medicine. You were an honored cross-country athlete and also the coach there. Right. Was there any transferability of those activities to being an entrepreneur today? Absolutely. I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to relate to people. You have to uh, be able to train and uh, maintain certain levels of, of um, productivity and those types of things. So it all, it's all relatable to athletes. You know, you have to find what ticks with each athlete, how they're going to respond to different types of training techniques. So very much so. Uh, the, the thing that I felt was the greatest challenge was getting athletes with just incredible talent to motivate themselves. And I'm seeing that a lot in the business world now. We're getting a totally different kind of, of employee that comes into the stores, different type of work ethic. You kind of have to teach them how to work. And that's kind of the challenge I was seeing as a coach. And if you can connect with them and get them to really come on board, great things can happen. That's, that's a great insight. So, so you graduate from college and you take a job in the thrift industry at Veterans Thrift Store in Pomona. You're only 25 years old and the stores are owned by Greg and David Ellison. My question is, why the thrift industry? Why did you take that job? Mm -hmm. Well, my wife and I just been married out of college and um, I was uh, not sure what I wanted to do, but I, I, at the time I wanted to stay somehow connected with the sport, sports industry. So we were looking at maybe opening our own running store or something like that, but didn't really have a whole lot of experience on that side. So we were still just kind of searching for, you know, where God wanted to lead us. And uh, yeah. this opportunity came up and it took me a long time, actually, the, the, manager of that store was a client at my wife's insurance company uh, where she worked and um, kept bringing up the fact that, you know, he has a great job and, you know, doing all doing very well financially and all of that. And Joyce somehow brought up my name. And so she was urging me to go meet with him. And I kept was I was very reluctant because the thrift stores, honestly, I had never been in a thrift store in my entire life. My, my mom and my dad very proud uh, people, uh, always bought the best of the best, even though, you know, it was tough to afford that, but they always believed in getting the best. And okay. finally went in and talked to him and uh, it was amazing. It was a, just an incredible experience. Okay. So now the store, which you worked at, were owned by the Ellisons. And I understand that they were the first to open up the Salvation Army thrift stores. And then they opened a series of for-profit stores outside the Salvation Army name. You spent five years with them from 1986 to 1999. I'm going to call that your formative years, if you will. And you probably witnessed a lot of good practices, bad practices. And I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. You probably thought to yourself, you probably kept it a secret, is if I ever become an owner of my own store, I'm going to do it my way, which I think is better. Is that a fair statement? I think every entrepreneur has the same <laughs> thought that goes through their mind. Absolutely. Because they just, they just see so many different uh, 
opportunities of improving the business. And I, I, like you said, I saw the same thing. Okay. So I'm psychic then. <laughs> you probably heard it many, many times. Yeah. <laughs> so let me digress a little bit, Tony. How big is the thrift industry right now? And how many major players are there? Well, I guess both for-profit and non-profit. Yeah, for-profit and non-profit. And now there's even a online segment that uh, people are really getting attached to, like ThreadUp, which is an online reseller. It's just branched out in so many different ways. But estimates are in the $24 billion per year. $24 billion? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's grown uh, tremendously. In fact, now you, it, it rivals department stores and apparel stores with how many times an individual will actually go and shop in those stores. It's almost right on par, 20%, 21%, right in that range. So wow. that one out of five people that you bump into that, that, are, that are consumers have shopped at a thrift store. Very interesting. Wow. All right. So 1991, you're 30 years old. And you pull the trigger and you say to yourself, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start my own business and open my first thrift store. And my question is why and why then? Well, you know, we had uh, worked then, Joyce and I, in the thrift industry for a little over five, six years. And we felt that we were ready. Just like you said, we felt that we could do many things better we could improve on the industry. We, we then approached some family members and some friends who wanted to invest in the store and got together enough money to make a run at it. And the, the, the thing that I look back on now that I wonder about is we've picked a, a 32,000 square foot building to open our first store, which is huge. Even in today's market, that's a big store. Typically, most are going to be in the 10, 15,000 range. Right, right. But we picked a big, big store and it's like, you know, go big or go home. And it, it, it worked. Thank God. <laughs> well, that was my next question is because I was going to ask you a question about the seed capital, your family and friends. Was that a tough sell or were they in your corner immediately? And, and whatever you said to them, would it work on Shark Tank today? I, you know, that I don't know. <laughs> you know, knowing the statistics now, because back then there was nothing that I could really show them other than right. the fact that I'd worked at some places and, you know, they appeared to be successful. And as a for-profit store, we really weren't looking at the philanthropic part, the side of the business. You know, we were really looking at, right, can we make money or not? You know, are gotcha. they going to be able to recoup their investment or not? But and, they still bought your story. They had confidence in yeah. you that you can pull it off. And yep. I'm assuming you paid them all back, right? Right. It worked out well. Although I would have to say, you know, and you hear it all the time, partnerships are very difficult. And, you know, if you can absolutely do it on your own, I would strongly encourage anybody to do things on their own. <laughs> okay. I got you. So yeah. your first store, as you mentioned, 32,000 square feet. And at its pinnacle, it's hitting about three million in sales and very profitable. Now, did that surprise you? What kind of surprised me was the the speed with which it got traction. It didn't take us long to you know hit the two million mark and then exceeding that. Uh, we were fortunate that we were able to work out some really good lease agreements 
We kept costs low. Back then, you also have to realize the, I think the minimum wage was around $5.75 an hour. Okay. Uh, considerably less than it is now. So maybe you answered the question then. So you open your first store and your personal stamp of your strategies that you implemented, implemented worked. And can you expound a little bit on that or did you cover that? We definitely were on the cutting edge at the time. And I think a lot of it was just all those ideas that I had in my mind that I wanted to try elsewhere, I was able to do. And the reason I was able such, to do such as Such as what? Well, we totally revamped the processing and sorting methodology of the thrift store. We kind of integrated things from an industrial perspective where mass sorting of raw donations. We developed a mezzanine system with a, a trolley rail system, kind of borrowing that from the garment industry and uh, the cleaners, you know, where you see all the rails and the clothes that are kind yes. of spinning. We implemented that. So we were processing and sorting at a very high level of efficiency because at the time, to support a store that big, we needed, gosh, 10,000 garments minimum, you know, for every two or three days sales. So we were going through a lot of stuff and uh, we had to develop a way to match the demand. Whatever it was in your brain, you created a winning formula. I mean, $3 million a year in sale is not chump change. That is a lot of volume. So yeah, it, pat yourself on your back if nobody did. I'm proud of, I'm proud you. of you, son. <laughs> All right, appreciate that. All right, so 30 years go by. You're still in the industry, and now you decide to open the Thrift Consulting Group in 2015. What does this company do, and what is your mission statement? And I, in my audience, I'm going to say, trigger alert, here's where the social entrepreneurship is. So go ahead. Right. Well, after uh, being in the business for so many years, you know, my wife and I, who came on board, Joyce, Joyce was on board with the thrift company very early when we started our own. And um, since then, between the two of us, we, we bring a, a very a unique set of dynamics together. And, you know, Joyce is very detail-oriented as well. So, you know, we looked at what else can we do with this? I mean, we were partnering with other uh, social impacting uh, companies, not, but not nonprofits. They were, you know, more along the lines of uh, informational and that type of thing. But we had also learned that we can be more impactful on, on, on a directly uh, social means. And that is when, we, when I opened a store in, in Pasadena called Axe Thrift Store, it was a faith-based Christian organization that uh, was at the time funding an organization called Stars in Pasadena, which offered uh, tutoring and mentoring for at-risk kids. And um, immediately had tons of support from the local community. And Joyce uh, at the time was working at a store here in Chino and Montclair that supported organizations that directly impacted housing for uh, retire, retired individuals with uh, mental deficiencies. We all of a sudden realized we can do a lot more and be more impactful by Helping on our own business and helping others do the same. So you help these other businesses who were providing services for society ills, if you will. 
Right, right. What exactly do you do? Give me a, you don't have to tell me the client, but give me an example of a client that mm-hmm. fits that, that profile for you. And what do you do for them? Right. So uh, there's a couple of ways that we assist them. One of them could be somebody that helps a transitional housing a family who is homeless, not because they just decided to give up on, on themselves, but for certain circumstances, the, 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 maybe the dad lost a job. The wife was a homemaker and find themselves without a place to live. Well, this organization that we support assists them by giving them temporary housing and then kind of rehoning their abilities to get back into the uh, job market and be able to eventually support themselves again. So for a, or an organization like that, we can give monetary support out of our profits. We also assist them by a voucher program where, say, they need in their new home, they need furniture or they need pots and pans. They need a clothing for the kids to get back to school. Those are the types of items that we can directly help help them with an in-kind donation. So okay. we're helping okay. them many different ways. So is your client, so to speak, the executive director of the thrift store or the manager or the owner? Who are you providing this service? The one person who's kind of like, okay, we're going to hire you. Yeah, we don't go directly to the executive director. and Okay. We meet with the board of directors and they kind of see okay. what it's all about. I got it. So let's just say if I come to you, hey, Tony, I want to um, I want to open up a thrift store and I want to donate 80 percent of my profits to my church. Problem is, Tony, I don't know anything about the thrift business. I don't know how to make money. Can you show me how to do that? And you're going to help me because, you know, not only are you going to help me, but you want to support my cause. Right, exactly. And that's very common. That's exactly how the conversation takes place. So what I'll do is I'll meet with them and I'll, and I'll explain, let me explain what our package is and how we can help you. We develop everything from the initial business plan, costs associated with opening, the training, how to find your location. They might even have a location in mind and I'll go take a look at it and tell them yes or no, this is a great idea or maybe it just won't work. How much money that they're going to need to get their, their business off the ground. And, you know, the kind of community support that they would that they're going to need in order to continue the donations coming in. And as you know, Gene, donations are the key to this business. And if you've got a a flow of donations coming in, if you can generate that kind of support, you're almost guaranteed um, at least getting through that first year, enhancing your chances of being successful. All right. So I probably have my listeners out there scratching their head and saying, what does this have to do with me? So here's my question. Business fundamentals are business fundamentals. Yeah. Whatever best practices you utilize when you were an owner or were a consultant in the thrift industry and making money, are there many parallels between the thrift industry and any other business? They're very similar. I mean, uh, like what? Give me. Well, a- the thr- yeah, the thrift business is a business. You know, you yeah. have to have money coming in to cover your expenses. You got to, you have to manage and watch your uh, payroll, your overhead expenses. They're all the same. Nothing changes in that regard. The difference is in the model itself being what I try to promote as a community-based business. So you get more people to take ownership in what you do. So when somebody comes to donate or they're thinking in their mind, where do I want to take my donation? I've got to move. I got all this stuff. The first thing that usually pops into their mind is usually Goodwill or Salvation Army. But try to do is go out there and say, hey, look, your donation 
can impact your neighborhood, your community, if you bring it directly to us, because your goods are going to impact services to help people in your neighborhood. They're also going to generate jobs in your neighborhood, and they're also going to generate a place for people that are looking to perhaps stretch their dollars, which today is very important, help people right in your community. It's a really a community-based model, unlike- I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's, that's social entrepreneurship, really. So where is the industry headed? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. I think about that all the time because there's a lot of pressure now in the industry, in retail in general, about sustainability and recyclability and you know, maintaining profitability. But this whole idea of sustainability and trying to recycle goods over and over, and it, it's a little tricky because at some point, if donations ever dry up, if the, if the people stop buying goods, and it's those goods that supply thrift stores to that recyclability, if people start going too far to thrift stores and there aren't enough new goods being purchased to be recycled through the stores, that could be a limitation for the industry. And so, you know, when you see right now, uh, we might be in a, in a period of time where people maybe aren't going out and buying the new clothes or the new shoes or the new household items because maybe they just don't have the extra cash to do it. Then they go to thrift stores. There's a bit of a lull in the donation side, which is going to impact thrift store uh, sales. So it's a little up and down. It vacillates up and down as far as you know where the industry is going. I don't think it's going to be going anywhere as far as losing traction in resale or retail. People will always go there. Um, I think it's more so now because the younger generations are seeing thrift stores now as a greater option because they like the idea of sustainability and recycling. They've been brought up in that. But, you know, like I said, we, we, there has to be a good source of capital, good old capital uh, capitalization here in the, in the country to make sure that things are getting recycled. Okay. Kind of an off the wall answer, but no, 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 know. no, it's good. That's good. So we're almost running out of time, Tony. I want to ask you this question. Well, actually, there's two questions. What percentage of thrift stores out there are for profit versus nonprofit? That's the first question. Well, I think the majority of the stores actually are nonprofit now. Okay. Uh, 501c3s or whatever. Right. right. Okay. Is it 50%, 60, 70, 80? I would venture to say over 70%. Okay. Okay. So maybe 25% or more are for profit. So, all right. I now was, those that's, that's, go ahead. Those for profit stores kind of still piggyback along the model of nonprofits because they align themselves with nonprofits as a means to generate donations. And some of them have gotten themselves in trouble in the past because people walk in and they see, you know, all of these nonprofit names on their walls, but the money that the for-profit store isn't actually trickling down to those organizations. So there's been some controversy in that in the past. A lot of it took a lot of uh, damage control on, on their side, make people comfortable that uh, they are what they are and they do what they do. All right. My last question is, is the industry saturated or is there room for, let's say, a young person or a middle-aged person that wants to do a career pivot to start their own thrift store? Are there too many of them? Is a the demand there? 
Yeah, there, there definitely aren't too many. In fact, I just uh, saw something online today that the business has only grown by 0.4% in the last 10 years. So the stores that are out there, either the ones that have gone out of business and replaced by another, there hasn't been an extreme jump in the number of stores. Gotcha. Okay. So there's plenty of room. All right. Well, Tony, we've run out of time. This has been awesome. You know, I might go to my local thrift store and see if I can get a good buy. You'll you'll pay for it, right? Of course. Of course. (laughs) All right. So if any of my listeners want to get a hold of the of your company, how would they do that? And I'll also add your contact information to the show notes. Great, great. They can uh, reach me at thriftstoreconsultinggroup.com. That's our website. My email is Tony Reyes at thriftstorecg.com. And I'd love to uh, love to talk to them. All right. Well, thanks so much, Tony. So that's a wrap and I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Take care. You're the only guy I know that uh, looks younger every time I see you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope that friend continues. Yeah. Okay. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. All right. So that's a wrap, listeners. If you like the show, give me a like and subscribe. I'll see you next Monday, AM. Bye bye now. This has been CEO Terrain Maker with Gene Valdez. To find out more, like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you have questions, email the show. Find that link and others in the show notes. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.